daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Kitchener Today. I'm Brenda Halloran, your guest host for this afternoon. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you today. Um, You know, Mike Farwell just finished talking about butter tarts, and all I want right now is to have a butter tart. And I'm not even going to get into the fight about raisins or walnuts or, or pecans. But I'm just so ashamed of Mike for leaving all these butter tart crumbs all over the station. Like, you know... The guy should know better. So, Mike, please clean up after yourself because I I'm, I can't stand the mess. Just kidding, actually. The place is looking great. So today there's a few things I want to start the show off with. And the first one is to give a shout-out to someone who I've known for a long, long time and who I really, really admire greatly. And it's Dan Rocha. And Dan and I have been friends for a long, long time. Dan is um, has been a strong advocate for KW accessibility and kids' ability. He's a part-time events DJ at DJ D-Rock, and he's a 13-year straight volunteer public relations director at the Kitchener Portuguese Club. I've seen Dan all through the community at so many events, and Dan is such a strong advocate for people who have mobility issues. Dan does have to get around in a wheelchair, but that doesn't stop him from doing amazing things. So, Dan Rocha, my dear friend, it's a big shout-out to you, and thank you for doing so much for this community. Wanted to do a quick uh, review of the weekend. Did you see the gas prices today? So, as I was driving in, I almost, almost went into a complete spin-out to see that gas prices, and that was a couple hours ago, they might even be higher now, $1.84 for regular, $1.97 for diesel. And we're being told that this is, it's still going to go up and to expect higher gas prices. And the impact that this is going to have on prices, on inflation, on just taking your kids and families on vacations and, and doing things. Uh, I know and my friends and family are saying that they're, they're pretty well stopping going to visit friends that live in far, far places because the gas cost is going to be um, really detrimental to doing things. And wow. We still have a lot ahead of us, so hang on, everybody. Hang on. I uh, went and topped up on Thursday at $1.60, and I thought that was terrible. And I was in a lineup at a major um, sh- a store in the community that ends in Co. and the lineup to get gas was, was mind-boggling. And I, I don't know how much gas I wasted just in line, but we're going to be doing pet peeves later, and I wanted to just start off with one of mine, and that's when you go into a really crowded line. Why do you always seem to get in the line that goes the slowest? So I'm just going to leave that because we're going to do pet peeves later on. This weekend, I participated in the Women's Campaign, Municipal Campaign School, and we had over 70 people signed up and listening. And it was to help uh, provide information to women who are interested in to learning about how to run a municipal campaign and that they're interested in running in their local councils, I run as mayors and councillors, and it was really an interesting um, day because there's so much to running a campaign and, and for men and women and anybody who's interested in running any type of uh, political campaign, there's a lot to it. And reach out to people who've got the experience. People are here to help and don't be afraid to ask questions. But that was really a, a very inspirational day. 
I see today's picture about the lineup of baby strollers at Polish train stations, and my heart just breaks when I look at the the moms and the children uh, running, you know, out of out of the Ukraine cities and getting on trains. And I can't imagine for the life of me what it would be like to be a, a woman, a mom, a grandparent, running with your children in your arms and clutching on to whatever you could carry. Uh, it, it's it's horrific what is happening in Ukraine, and we'll be speaking to someone about that. Um, you know, we're all talking about mass, and the, the uh, provincial government's talking about possibly by the end of March. Are you ready? Are you prepared? It's a big question because we've been two years into this. Uh, yesterday, I was at Bingaman's at a big, big event, and um, there were hundreds of people lined up to get into the, the space. And what I was really struck by is, number one, there are hundreds of people lined up to get into something. And how long has it been since we've seen that? And the, the facilities were full, packed with people in masks, but everybody seemed to have that same look, well, on their eyes, because you can't see their whole face, but in their eyes of wonderment at being out, at being with a bunch of people, at talking to people. It was it was really surreal, and I just wonder how you're feeling about attending big events. Um, will you still want to mask? Are you still going to want to, uh, to, to, to take your mask off? It, it's a big, big thing for people. And, you know, yesterday was a beautiful day. People didn't have their heavy winter gear on. They were standing in line. The sun was shining. It was a bit breezy. And then today, you know, March is so cruel. No fair, no fair to be looking out the window at a, a, a damp, dismal day. But, you know, spring's on its way, and we can hang in there, and we are going to get there. So today, when, the first topic I'd like to start talking about is... Um, what is happening for women and children during COVID and what we're seeing in statistics on increasing domestic violence. So today I have as my guest Jenna Main, who is a communications and fund manager at the Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region. That's our local organization that supports women and children escaping domestic violence, and it's a shelter. It's a woman's shelter, but but the organization does so much more. So I'd like to um, ask Jenna to join me and we... Um, well, let's just have a discussion on, on what Women's Crisis Services does, what are the statistics, what are you seeing happening, and um, let the community know what's going on. Jenna. Welcome. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me here. It's so nice to talk to you again. It's wonderful speaking with you. You know, Jenna is uh, very instrumental in, in creating some amazing fundraising opportunities with the Women's Crisis Shelter. And one of them is uh, She's Your Neighbor campaign. So that has been quite an eye-opener, I think, for people in this community about domestic violence and the statistics. So could you talk to us about what co- the, the impact of COVID on, on women and children? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, COVID, it's just been a really difficult time for women and kids experiencing domestic violence. It's been like that, you know, all over the world, really and across Canada, but also right here in our local community. Uh, We know rates of violence are increasing, but they're also escalating. Mm. So women and kids, when they're coming to us right now, they're more highly traumatized, which has been, you know, difficult. We've had to put different things in place, you know, getting new support services, addiction support, increasing child and family support. Uh, So there's a lot we've been able to kind of do and keep trying to do to help those who come to us during this time. But it really is just a a really difficult time for those in these situations. And when you're finding um, 
are, are more women coming with children or, or on their own? What are What is it like now? Yeah, there's lots of women coming with kids. At any given time in shelter, almost 50% of our residents are children. Uh, I know that surprises people sometimes. Mm-hmm. And years ago, uh, before I worked here, that surprised me too to learn that. Um, and that hasn't really changed during COVID. We have a lot of clients, moms who come to us with kids. Um, so yeah, it's, there's a lot of kids. I think, you know, just a few weeks ago, um, we had 23 kids at just one of the shelters. Um, so you can imagine it's, it's really busy in there and, and lots going on. We have, we have 45 beds at each shelter. So 90 throughout the region and lots of little kids, um, in both of those shelters. And what is the average age range, or is there an average of the children? Yeah, yeah. the majority of the kids are under age 8, so lots of little ones that come in with their moms. Um, we're very fortunate, so our shelters are pretty well equipped for COVID, I would say, um, compared to some shelters in other regions. We're just very, very fortunate that we have new buildings. Mm-hmm. So the way they're set up is hotel style, so each room has an adjoining uh, bathroom to the bedroom. And then the rooms also all open up. So if it's a mom who has multiple kids, because sometimes we have moms who come with four or five or more children, then they can kind of open up those rooms and all stay together, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. So that's been a positive during this time. You know, one of the the biggest questions I I think people are interested in is what happens to family pets? Can they be brought to the shelter or what support is offered? for? You know, I I know that for a lot of women um, who have pets that it's hard for them to leave those pets behind yeah that's very true pets make it really tricky for women to leave relationships and sometimes that's why they might stay in relationships longer because they're worried about the pet leaving with them with a partner or what's going to happen so uh, we do work carefully one-on-one with each woman uh, each woman who comes to our shelter to figure out a plan for her and her pet the pets aren't actually able to come into our shelter but we do have resources and community connections and, and ways we can kind of try and direct women so that they feel safe and comfortable having their pet stay somewhere while they come to us. Mm-hmm. And then we also have outreach services too. So if women aren't ready to leave the relationship, if they're not able to, um, they don't have to come into shelter. We can still provide them support while they're going through this, help them make a safety plan. So it's not like shelter is the only option either. Mm-hmm. You know, tomorrow is International Women's Day, and that's why I thought it was really important to have you on the show today to talk about, you know, how COVID has affected uh, women and children, the impact on domestic violence. You're seeing increasing rises in it. And I think the biggest fear that I've heard is that there's a lot of people who are still stuck in in homes because of COVID, because they're unable to leave maybe very dangerous situations. And and what are you finding in that way? Yeah, that's true. Um, I heard a stat recently. It was from the Canadian Femicide Observatory. And they had said that in the first two months of the year, one woman or girl was killed every one and a half days due to femicide. So uh, it's really alarming rates of violence that women are experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just so important to kind of have these conversations and talk about what we can do and the realities of it. Because mm-hmm. I think the more we do talk about these things, even though it's difficult, the more awareness there is. People know that they're not alone. Um, and, you know, the theme for International Women's Day this year is break the bias, uh, which I think is a really awesome 
awesome theme, and it's kind of relevant to violence against women, too, because we do know that uh, Indigenous women, Black women, they experience higher rates of violence. And I think this is something we need to be talking about um, and trying to change. Um, You know, I know that Indigenous women in Canada are three times more likely to experience domestic violence than any other population. And that's just not okay. It's something Mm -hmm. we kind of, we need to talk about and start changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jenna, what, you know, for for people listening now, what is your message to someone who doesn't know whether they should leave or what they can do? I think I would say know that you're, you're not alone. This is something that happens to so many people of so many different backgrounds. Um, something, you know, we say, you mentioned earlier, Brenda, our series, She Is Your Neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is the truth. Domestic violence is happening to people in any neighborhood in all sorts of different backgrounds. And I think, you know, if you're listening and you're experiencing this, just know you're not alone and there's support. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a way out of these situations and it, it might be really difficult and really trying, but we're here to support you. And there's so many people in this community that are here to support mm-hmm. you. Uh, it's just about getting connected to those services. You know, I will admit that um, I, I was on the She Is Your Neighbor podcast and, and for any women who are listening, I was also a victim of domestic violence and it's still hard for me to talk about it, but I feel it's really important that we do talk about it and that women know that you are not alone and there are many of us who've gone through it and we have, um, you know, I, I did seek support and I did some volunteer work at what was then Anselma House and it was shocking to me because I thought I was the only one going through what I was going through and I certainly am not and I'm so, so glad and so grateful that we have the services of Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region available for for uh, women and children. Um, my message, if you're listening to this, don't be afraid to reach out. Um, there's no shame. It's not your fault what, what is happening. And there are a lot of people here to help and give you the support. So um, even for me right now, it's a little bit, you know, it's still kind of hard to talk about it, but it's a big thing. And all of us need to talk about it. Men, women, fathers, mothers, grandparents, aunts, uncles. We need our men involved in this to stand up and, and say no to, to violence against women because it, it's it's all about families. It's all about children. It's all about making sure people are safe and everyone deserves to be in a safe, happy, healthy family environment. Um, I know you've got some events coming up that you wanted to talk a little bit about, so take it away, Jenna. Yeah, thank you, Brenda. And thanks so much, Brenda. I just want to say for all your support, you know, over the years, you're on our board now, and mm-hmm. when you, you mentioned being a part of the She Is Your Neighbor series, and I just think it's so impactful when people hear stories um, from different people in the community and community leaders like you. It's just really empowering to see people who went through it and who've kind of come out the other side and and made something wonderful of their lives so um despite these horrible things that happened to them so i just Mm -hmm. i wanted to thank you first um just for mentioning that but yeah we have lots of exciting events coming up in may um it's going to be a really exciting month for us we actually have a new series of the podcast coming out in may so more survivor stories from people who've experienced domestic violence Uh, that's really exciting Um, because we're just really happy to be able to have these conversations openly Mm -hmm. and honestly and remove some of that shame and stigma. And then the other thing that we have coming up is our Hats Off to Mom event. It's our Mother's Day brunch. Um, 
and it's every year we have this event to support women and kids in the community experiencing domestic violence. So, you know, it's a fun way to treat your mom while you're also helping out other local moms in the community. Um, so, yeah, tickets are actually launching today for that event. So this is actually great timing that we got connected <laughs> today. Uh, yeah, so we're really excited for that event. And there's going to be brunch boxes that people can order. You can have them at home or, you know, now that restrictions are easing up and we can see family and friends, you can take mm-hmm. your brunch box, go have it with your friends and family, which is nice. Uh, and then for those who aren't quite comfortable with that just yet, we also have an online event. Um, there's going to be a magician. His name's Gramazing. Uh, I've heard <laughs> great things about him. Um, and there's also going to be music by June 8th. So, yeah, lots of fun stuff with the Mother's Day brunch coming up. That sounds wonderful. And again, thank you, Jenna, and to all the the um, staff and volunteers who, who work so hard to help women and children escaping domestic violence. It's not... It's not an easy world, but you know what? It's such an important world, and so many great stories do come out of, of these um, situations with families. And I want to thank you so much for all that you do to help uh, everyone in our community. Well, thanks, Brenda. It was so great to be here today and chat with you. Thank you so much, Jenna. All right, so now um, we are coming up to our break, and I'm going to now hand it over to Polly to lead us to our next break. And we're back, and that was probably, um, you know, quite an interesting segment, and I think people learned a lot from it. And I think, as Jenna said, it's really important to continue talking and not being ashamed and and keeping our voices out there about issues affecting women and children, especially with International Women's Day coming tomorrow. There's a lot of events happening all through the country, all over the world. And I know that people wonder, well, why do we need to have one special day set aside to discuss issues about women? And I think... When we start looking at the statistics of, of how women still aren't represented politically, uh, still aren't at the big boards, aren't the CEOs. You know, I, I read an, um, uh, an article that said that there were more gentlemen named John who are on boards than there are women. And I thought, boy, that really tells you something. So uh, International Women's Day just shines a light on where we're at, the advances that have been made for women in all sectors of politics, the corporate world the industry, but we still have a ways to go. And we need to support women who do want to get into these positions, especially politically. Women are not jumping into running for politics because it's not easy. Social media is brutal. And a lot of women yesterday at the uh, municipal campaign school talked about how how um, they're, they're being inundated with very challenging messages and tweets. And I don't know about you, but social media has opened up a Pandora's box of anger, hostility, and hatred. And I wonder how we'll ever get it back. It, it's a tough, tough world. Um, you know, I've always said when I, when I was the mayor for eight years of Waterloo that I actually only weighed three pounds. The rest of this is thick skin. Because when you get into politics and you get into different worlds where, where it's mainly, you know, um, more men than women, it is hard for women and it's hard for our voices to be heard. And something I've wondered, and I've only been doing talk show, uh, talk show radio for a little bit, is um, women seldom call into talk shows. And I wondered about that and I wonder why. Uh, so please, if you've got something to say, don't be afraid to phone in. It's not that scary. It's not that intimidating. 
uh, your voices do need to be heard too. So, ladies, call in. We have a lot to say. We have a lot of, of um, things to share. And uh, let's make sure that 50% of the callers that come in are women. Can we do that? Because I know we need to make a, a bit of an impact on that as well. So now we're coming up to the news, and um, when we come back, we're going to be talking with a, a gentleman whose family is in the Ukraine and the impact that um, this war is having on his family and the fears of the families here locally in our region. Welcome back to Kitchener Today. I'm your guest host, Brenda Halloran. And, you know, it, it's um, quite an experience being a, a talk show host because you get to speak to so many amazing people and you get to hear stories about a lot of things happening in the world. And so today, I'm really, um, I think it's, it's really important that we hear what's happening locally uh, for the, the people who live here and what's happening to their families in Ukraine you know, as people, you know, living here in Waterloo Region and, and those of you listening outside of the region, can you imagine waking up and uh, 12 days later, your country is, is torn apart by war, your family members are, are going through horrific things, and um, what can you do to help them? You know, you're sitting here, and they're there, and what can we do to help them? And I I, I'm just, every day I wake up thinking about it and, and I'm watching the news and I'm seeing things happening and I honestly can't believe that in 12 days a country can be ruined, can be, be torn apart in 12 days. It's just, just unbelievable. And for people in my um, age group, the thought of watching war on social media and it's live action and things that are going on, it's really shocking. Uh, it's heartbreaking and, and it's just unbearable. So today I, I'm really um, honored to have Sirhai Yarosevich, and I hope I said it well, Sirhai. Sirhai um, is a, a professor at the University of Waterloo, and he um, was at the rally for Ukraine and Waterloo on the weekend, but he has family, and he's in, in, uh, going to speak to us about what is, is happening there. But share with us as a family member in Waterloo Region, um, how you feel about what's happening to your family. So, Sirhai, thank you so much for joining our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join. Um, and I, I'm honestly at a loss of words because um, I, I think you, you, you know, um, from, from, from the external perspective, it's, it's a horror to watch this, of course, unfolding uh, because in any human being, um, our heart goes out to people who are suffering naturally, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, obviously a totally different level of, of being there. And, and you know, um, vicariously, of course, we're exposed to this from, from the stories from, from our friends and relatives uh, in Ukraine right now. And so, Sir, what are you hearing from your family? And who, who is your immediate family in, in uh, Ukraine? Yeah, so all of my extended family is actually there. My immediate family is is in Canada, um, but my brother-in-law is is there, and his family is there, and all extended family is there. My friends, um, I was born and grew up in Kiev, and finished my undergraduate studies there. So, so there's of course a very strong connection mm-hmm. to uh, the city that's being bombed. The city itself has been spared from from significant damage so far, but the the neighboring areas, of course, have been basically torn apart. And are you able to communicate with your, your family and friends there? 
Yeah, so far we've been able to keep communication channels open. Um, some of them uh, who, who are not about uh, not um, able to participate in, in the defense of the country were able to move uh, west to to some relative safety or to uh, rural rural areas um, that that are not being exposed have not been exposed to significant military action so far. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 limited. Uh, connection, of course, because mm-hmm. they have a lot of things to worry about, and uh, we primarily just want to know if they're okay on on a daily basis, just one line. And are you getting much communication back from from your friends? Um, yes, I do so, and you know the the stories are um, quite heart wrenching. So, um, you know, people are not able to to access basic necessities, have having to care for their loved ones. A lot of them have um, people who are incapacitated by due to some health conditions, elderly, um, for whatever reason, we're not able to leave um, the active war zones there. Um, so it's in a collective nightmare, basically. Mm-hmm. So when families, you know, um, we're seeing scenes of horrific bombing, especially in residential areas and in, in, in the apartments. Um, are your family and friends, you said they're, they're, they're not, are they close, close to this type of, of situation? Uh, so, so right now, um, most of my connections and, and immediate uh, friends and family were, were in the, in the Kiev region. Uh-huh. So um, the city proper um, has seen some uh, shelling, but relatively limited um, to to the center. Uh, you know, most of the damage was in the neighborhood, so satellite cities. Uh, you know, you could imagine that. Um, you know, Toronto, and we're talking Brampton Vaughan um, region. So, so this little satellite cities have have been devastated, and particularly the ones on on the west and north of the um, Ukrainian capital. So for people living in the the uh, larger city centers, are they still living with, you know, in their apartments, do you know, or have they gone t- to the subway systems, kind of gone underground? What are, where are they going? What are they doing? Yeah, so so the, um, at the beginning, the early onset, um, they, a lot of them were um, in the bomb shelters and subway uh, stations uh, to, uh, due to the limited but pretty obviously uh, horrific um, aerial attacks and and some limited but still present bombardment and some initial uh, fighting at the outskirts of the city. Um, Right now I'm hearing some indication that a lot of people are becoming, as horrible as it sounds, used to this. So a lot of them are just staying home and, you know, um, trying to protect themselves by, you know, sleeping in a bathroom um, mm-hmm. where, where, you know, you have some some protection from um, blasts in the immediate vicinity. So people are, as you know, after 10 plus days for starting, you know, not, I, I don't think you can get used to this, but mm-hmm. it's it's becoming part of their everyday routine. Boy, that's hard to imagine, isn't it, when we're sitting here? And, and our biggest complaint is, you know, gas has gotten expensive and, and it's kind of rainy and cold and damp out. Indeed. And I, I, I mean, for them, it appears that um, 
the fact that the external world is really um, not only watching but empathizing with mm-hmm. uh, with their tragedy and you know and the horrific act of aggression that they're facing there for for the very survival of their nation is is a, an extremely important aspect and of course uh, some of the aid does get to them both military and um, humanitarian aid is extremely important um, the neighboring countries have been welcoming refugees um, with open arms so so this been um, really uplifting in terms of supporting their spirits um, but yes indeed I think you 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 touched on something very important um, at this point every citizen of free world can can ask themselves what what are we willing to give up mm-hmm. to make sure that something like that stops and hopefully does never happen again? Mm-hmm. Uh, not to us, not to our neighbors, not to anyone. And at this moment, it does require some some of minimal um, and a relative scale sacrifice from from us. So, someone like me, what can I do, Sergey? What what would help? Uh, and for people, you know, a lot of the families here who have, have who originated from Ukraine, um, what can this community do to to support the families here, supporting the, their families there? Excellent question. And one one thing that we're uh, doing to help is is what you're doing right now is is raising the awareness. And um, you know, many of us have very strong feelings about such things as war unfolding, particularly an unprovoked act of aggression. Mm-hmm. So we can we can discuss this and make, make our opinions heard. Uh, we can reach out to our politicians, to our members of parliament, regarding of our regardless of our political stripes, mm-hmm. and and make sure that they are aware of what their constituencies are thinking about it. Um, you can use social media quite effectively to express your opinions and to make sure that. Um, Everybody is aware of how you think about it, and, mm. and there is significant support within the country and also internationally mm-hmm. um, to stop this because, unfortunately, governments tend to react based on um, the popular opinion in some, some situations. So the other thing we can do is, of course, offer direct help. There, there are many Canadian charities that um, are offering to help and relieve this humanitarian crisis. There was a, a very timely publication in CBC on, on how to help and how to choose the appropriate mm-hmm. charity. Um, but there are uh, a number of them, and all of them are registered and reliable uh, in terms of the accountability and the fact that the, the aid will reach uh, the destination that is most affected, of mm-hmm. course, by this disaster. So, so I'm going to ask you more of a personal question. Um, if you were still living there, would you be fighting? Would you? What would you be doing? Have you thought about that? I I have, and um, to be honest, this is an extremely hypothetical point, of course, because mm-hmm. I, I I don't think, in all honesty, we can predict what we'd be doing mm-hmm. under such circumstances. And this is why I I don't pass judgment on people who are trying to flee. Yeah. Um, yes. I understand that when bombs are um, going off near your house, your perception of the world changes once yes. and for all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I would probably be inclined to take a very active position to to help defend my country, but in what form it would uh, transpire, I I cannot really say without being put under mm-hmm. such a position because it's easy to be a hero when when you're not at war. Oh, how true is that? You know, we like I talked recently about social media and so many armchair critics, and I often wonder what what they would be doing or saying if they were actually living there and and under those terrible conditions. Um, what their comments would be, because it's easy to throw stones, right? It's really easy to throw stones, you know. And and um, I I question myself too. If I was living there, what role would I be taking, and how would I stand up to defend my country? And what would I be willing to sacrifice? And and we're seeing these incredible stories coming from from people and, and young people and old people, everybody. You know, we hear about grandmothers throwing Molotov cocktails. We see pictures of, of Ukrainian citizens standing in front of Russian tanks. And I think about how their life has changed in a second to be this beautiful, free country, just just living and all of a sudden, one man, one man who has the power that we just can't comprehend can do this to a country. And what is his next steps to us as a world? And I, I think, you know, all of us are now starting to be concerned about what is going to happen. Where are we, where are we leading to? No, I think those are very important points. And, uh, you know, in addition to thinking how, how people there would think, I, I think... A very important question we can ask ourselves: If it was, if it were us mm-hmm. under these circumstances, what would be something that we would be willing to give up? Um, and also ask ourselves here in Canada: What are we willing to do to help this uh, situation? And also to people in Russia: mm-hmm. I, Am I complacent in this? What can I do to make it stop, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's very convenient to blame it on one person, but that person was brought to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, that person has sustained that power for decades. And yes, it's a difficult political science discussion. Yes. But, um, I, I think all of us in the world can ask ourselves, what, what can we do to help? And if, if all of us does even a little bit... Um, I think the situation can get better, not worse. That's a wonderful message of hope. Really wonderful. Because I know all of us are feeling, just we just don't know what to do and what we can do. But, you know, there's local organizations gathering things. We know that there are Red Cross and organizations collecting money. And again, a caution to people when you are making online donations, be so, so cautious of avoiding any type of scams. There's a lot out there, and, and in our willingness to help out, sometimes I think we get to be a little naive. And I, um, yeah, so just be very, very cautious about who you're donating to and make sure that it's a reliable organization. You know, Suri, when we um, are doing the rallies here in, in you know, our local communities and, and across, well, globally, do you think that that has a, lo- a strong impact for the people of Ukraine when they see the world, uh, um, you know, joining together in supporting them? Yeah, I think this is tremendous because what, what they're seeing in, inside the country, and this is, you know, coming from personal 
uh, testimonies of people that I spoke is is a tremendous paradigm shift. Um, it, it's they're basically living, uh, reliving the rebirth of the nation. Right, uh, mm. people are coming together against you know the common external foe, um, and and that brings them together under extremely unfortunate circumstances and massive loss of life and well-being. But um, that's the spirit uh, that they're seeing within their country. And it's extremely important for them to see that that resonates with the world, that this this injustice on the global scale is, is being recognized and their struggle is being supported. Um, and And it is quite clear that such a support, and particularly in Europe, can change how countries act um, in response to these disasters. The massive supports and massive expression of support towards Ukraine, for example, in Germany, changed the political attitude of their government to, to actually uh, approve military aid and mm-hmm. humanitarian aid to, to Ukraine, finally. Mm-hmm. So, so I think those gatherings are, are extremely important. Um, because they do send a message, um, not only to local governments, not only, but but also to to the people of Ukraine. They they do see this. They they do see these pictures, and I think that's extremely helpful for them. You know, you'd mes- mes- mentioned too about the people of of Russia who are not getting the the information. Um, you know, they're they're being just inundated by by a lot of uh, false news, fake news. How do you think? They would, it would change the country's populace if they were to see what actually was happening in Ukraine. It is difficult for me to say this, but I'm not sure that this will have a dramatic impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to recognize that over the past decade and until very recently, um, general Russians had access to all internet resources. Um, there was not much in terms of the um, government control of the media. Um, so they they had access to information, but they some of them chose to believe the blatant disinformation uh, that is centrally fed to the population. So unfortunately, some um, expatriates in, in our communities who've been exposed to that information also chose to believe it, hmm. despite living in Canada. Um, and for some of them, this this war opened their eyes to some extent, but um, regretfully for many, it hasn't. Hmm. Um, so I'm not an expert in this, but um, it is quite mind-boggling how people can choose to believe something that is so blatantly wrong. And there are cases where families are torn apart because of this. Um, I have a very close friend whose brother lives in Russia, and she lives in Ukraine. And they're talking with, with him over online communication devices, and they tell him that, no, this is not what's happening here. We don't have people running and killing Russian-speaking people on the street. In fact, we speak Russian uh, on the street. And, and he says, no, I don't believe you. So a person would not believe 
not an opinion, but a statement of fact expressed by his immediate family, his sister and his mother, over propaganda Boy. that hmm. that's been fed to that person. So, as I said, I, I I fail to comprehend this, but that's a reality. Um, so it will take, I think, quite a long time to undo what has been done to the population of Russia due to this uh, very targeted disinformation campaign that's been happening there for decades now. Wow. That, that's, that's a lot to think about. That's a lot to think about. Sir, hi, thank you so very, very much for joining us today. Um, please know our, our, our thoughts, our prayers, you know, our, our feelings are of um, compassion and uh, are with you and your family and friends who are, are in Ukraine. Um, we, we are behind the Ukrainian people locally and in their country, and um, we'll continue with our rallies. We'll continue sending messages to our politicians and, and rise in support for the, the people of Ukraine. I thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for your support, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. And now it's time for a break. And we're back from break, and we have a caller on the line. Rick, thank you so much for calling in. Halloran, thank you so much for bringing up this subject. I have a, in my recent past, my mother was born in, it was eastern Galicia, which is by the Carpathian Mountains, although I don't know whether I still have any uh, close family down there, but I've been keeping an eye on mm. what's been happening, both through social media and uh, our, uh, uh, our, our, our networks sharing the horrors that uh, the, the people of Ukraine are experiencing. The question that I have, and uh, perhaps the professor would, uh, if he's able to, perhaps comment. I, I don't know whether he's still on the line or not. Unfortunately, but no, Rick. Is, yeah. But go ahead. The question I have is, why isn't the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church taking a vocal stand against this uh, uh, this genocide that one person is bringing mm. uh, onto a uh, a peaceful people that are just want to get on with their lives like all the rest of us. Yeah. It, it's almost like it's total silence, both from our end here in Canada, the, uh, the people. I mean, that one individual. He uh, he's portrayed himself as being a, a follower of the church and a regular churchgoer, but they're silenced. And these people could actually tell their parishioners what's going on, the horrors, but we don't hear anything. Okay, thank you so much, Rick, for for your call. You know that's that's a good point made. Uh, we have to uh, cut for the news now. Thank you so much. <laughs> And we're back with our show. So, grandparents, we're being scammed. I'm a grandparent. I don't like being scammed. Nobody's going to scam me, but you know what? There's almost 20 victims in the last two weeks that have been scammed with this really, really interesting scam for grandparents. I don't know if it's interesting, actually, but I think it's pretty awful. So let's talk about it. On the line today, we have Sergeant John Jacklich with our Waterloo Regional Police Services. And John's going to tell us about this grandparent scam that's going on and a big warning to all of us out there. So, John, thanks so much for joining the show. No problem. Thank you for having me, Brenda. 
okay, I'm a grandparent. I do anything for my grandkids. I probably spoil them too much and uh, spend a lot of money on them because that's what grandparents do, right? That's what they're supposed to do. But I understand that there are people spending money on things that they shouldn't be spending money on. Yep, that's very true, actually. So um, more ever, more than I've ever seen before, anyway, we've got this this new scheme that's been developed. It's actually not new. It's been happening for years, and the reason it's been happening for years is because it's so effective. And uh, essentially what happens is we've got um, a subject, we've got a, the bad guy who calls our victim and pretends to be their grandchild, granddaughter or grandson, and tells the victim that they're in some sort of a trouble. They always concoct some sort of a major incident, like a car accident or, or something like that. And oftentimes, if it's a car accident, they'll uh, make up a story whereby they're in jail and they need money from grandma or grandpa in order to get them out of this. And really, that's what it comes down to. But they play so hard on the emotions, and, and they'll, they'll generally um, craft this story so well that it seems like they're in a huge amount of trouble. And the only person that can help, of course, is grandma and grandpa. So they're really pulling out the heartstrings of the victims. Um, in this particular case, and generally, I mean, there's a lot of variations, but most typically, uh, at this point, the, the suspect will transfer the phone over to someone who's pretending to be a lawyer, and sometimes even a police officer or a court officer. And uh, that adds a little bit of realism to it, and, and that person is going to tell grandma and grandpa how much money it is that they need in order to get them bail money for, you know, to get out of jail or, or for repairs to the car or, or for medical bills or whatever it is. They'll tell them how much money they need and, and how they can get it. Um, they're so clever, they're so crafty that, I mean, they'll, they'll even help grandma and grandpa uh, with a story on why they're taking the money out at the bank, because a lot of the financial institutions have been really good with this, and they question, uh, you know, especially when uh, the elderly are taking out large sums of money, they want to know what it's for, just for the safety, of, you know, of the person. Um, but the uh, our bad guy in this particular case will help them concoct a story to make it reasonable that they're taking out that much money from the bank. The next step, of course, they send a courier to uh, our victim's house, and uh, the victim hands over the money, sometimes in the tens of thousands of dollars, um, and off they go, never to be seen again. So we're talking about uh, life savings sometimes. Uh, we're talking about, as I said, at times tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and if they encounter very little resistance, the worst part about it is they'll come back and they'll, they'll really uh, try and get as much money as possible out of grandma and grandpa, you know, playing on their emotions and their generosity. This this is unbelievable. So so when the the so people are actually getting phone calls from from a, a, an individual saying that they're their grandchild. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's sort of, and I, I can't be certain if it's a call center, but if you can imagine a call center like environment, and the reason that this works is because, uh, I mean, statistically, they're they're just calling thousands of people over and over again and hoping for the um you know the one that's going to to bite on the scheme i guess you'd say um and it's been very successful so why aren't the, the grandparents calling the, the child's parents are they told not to like the the child this this scammer will say well please don't call mom and dad and i'm i'm so embarrassed things like exactly. that exactly yeah you hit it you hit it right on the head so uh, along with the, you know, with the intricate story that they've made, it's always about how only grandma and grandpa can help them out. Please don't call mom and dad. As a matter of fact, it, it even goes beyond that. Um, 
uh, especially even after they they transfer to the supposed lawyer or police officer, they'll be they'll be warned not to tell anyone about the scam, not about the scam, but about the money that they're going to pay out for the help. They'll be cautioned about that. Um, stories will be you know concocted for them to to prevent them from telling anyone. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Um, they have it all. Uh, packaged up very nicely, uh, and it's very, very believable. They're very smooth, and they're very aggressive. So it's very confusing for not just the elderly, for anybody that would mm-hmm. receive a phone call like that. So they've had to research this person and find out some, uh, about their family and find their grandchildren's name. How are they getting this information? So that's a good question, and I'm not sure about all that. Uh, those details. I mean, we have social media that's uh, open and available to anyone. And a lot of times they won't need that much information. The, the urgency of the situation um, will cause the victim to provide the information that they need. I'll give you an example. Uh, sometimes you might hear, uh, you know, Grandma, it's your favorite grandson. And what will Grandma, you know, respond with? Eric right. or, or Joe right. or, you know, Smitty or, or whatever, right? They'll provide that information unknowingly to the scammers who will then collect it and use it back. This is really a sophisticated operation. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, we probably have over $100,000 worth of loss just in the last two weeks, and it's building. And, and that's within this community? Yes, yes. So it's not isolated to just this community either. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, this, this is happening right now in the, in the um, Halton, in the Niagara, in the Hamilton, and in the Toronto regions, all over. It's a very lucrative money-making scheme. So when, the, when a person is going to the bank and they want to withdraw their life savings or tens of thousands of dollars, and do, is, do the banks have any responsibility to put that on hold until they can look into it further? Well, it, ultimately, it is the, the victim's money yeah. that they can do uh, what they want with. In my experience, and I can only speak um, from my experience, but I have been uh, very impressed with the financial institutions up to this point. As a matter of fact, generally speaking, um, what I've seen anyway is the bank will ask a, a lot of questions trying to make sure that they're pulling the money out for a valid reason that has to do with them. However, the schemers and scammers are so slick, mm-hmm. they'll have anticipated this and, and again, build a story around why they might need to take that money out in order to sort of divert suspicion from the uh, institutions. So they've, they've got all the uh, angles covered, it seems. Wow. You know, I've received emails from... Um, friends who, whose their uh, emails have been hacked, asking for the same thing. Yeah. And the first time I ever got one, I honestly had to rethink it twice, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is a very dear friend, and how can I help? Um, is that happening as well still? Absolutely. Um, yeah, the phone is bad enough. We get yeah. the good and the bad with the internet, of course. I mean, we have a ton of different email scams from, from uh, well, email hacks to job scams, um, you know, people posting jobs on Facebook and, and then sending um, uh, you know, money to the applica- applicants, I should say, asking for a portion of that back. There's, there's uh, police scams and government scams where, and I, I wouldn't doubt that you got this same one, but uh, I've, I seem to get it every week. I've got some government official calling me saying that there's a warrant out for my arrest. Yes, yeah. And I have to deposit money into a Bitcoin machine or whatever. Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, either via phone or via the internet. Uh, it's a huge money-making machine right now. And, um, I mean, as far as prevention, uh, we can talk about that in a minute too, but, uh, uh, I mean, number one, we will never give, no government institution or financial institution um, is going to ask for you to 
deposit money or buy gift cards, which is a big thing as well. Yeah, if you can yeah. believe that they ask uh, they ask for gift cards and the codes on the back. No government institution, no legitimate institution is going to ask you to go out and, and immediately do that and provide funds to avoid arrest. It just doesn't happen. So let's talk about prevention. For sure, yeah. So. I mean, especially in the grandparent scam, mm-hmm. I think some of the things that we should look for, and, and number one is just what I said, there's no government or law enforcement agency or lawyer um, that's going to demand that you provide money, especially not immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you might even be asking yourself, well, you know, why, why don't they know that it's not their grandson that's calling or, or their granddaughter? And uh, in a lot of cases, they disguise their voices, you know, saying that they've been injured in a car accident. Oh, my. <laughs> um, yeah, even as sophisticated as that. Um, and they're very high pressure. I think that's the biggest thing. They, they start the foundation with a very intense situation, um, you know, putting them in a position where they feel like they're the only ones that can help, and then they pressure them, uh, you know, in, a, again, a very intense way. Um, sometimes the grandsons or granddaughters will even use words like, you know, I thought you loved me, why oh, won't you yeah. help me? They really pull on those heartstrings, mm-hmm. and they really play on the emotions. Um, I think probably the, the very most important thing as far as a preventative measure is concerned is the engagement of family. And uh, that's one of the reasons, Brenda, why I wanted to jump on your show here, too, is because I wanted to get this part of the message out. Everybody needs a sounding board, and I think a lot of people feel embarrassed uh, by their confusion, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes by you know not being sure if, if uh, something is a scam or if it's real. And, I mean, my biggest hope is that when people are listening to this, they'll, you know, have a conversation with their elderly relative, with their parent, with their aunt or uncle, you know, talk about it Mm -hmm. a little bit. And if possible, even convince them to use the relative, you know, as a sounding board to call them before, before, I have to stress before Mm -hmm. they give any money out to anyone over the phone or over the internet or provide any banking information or personal information in any of these things. It never hurts and it's certainly you shouldn't feel embarrassed about, um, you know, using another another person that you trust to bounce an idea off before you take any action. Nothing is critical, and nothing should be done immediately. I think I think the family interaction is probably the biggest piece of prevention that I can say. So the message you want to relate to everybody listening is that if you have a, a senior elderly parent, grandparent. Uh, talk to them about this. Tell them about what's going on, and and give them a heads up that if somebody does call and it's about your, you know, your favorite grandchild, to um, to, to talk to somebody else before you take any measures. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, because I think that with the, the with them preying on grandparents, the grandparents will automatically try to side with the grandchild against the parents. Right? They'll want to <laughs> say, "Well, the parents are horrible, and we're here to, to take care of you." But if they know ahead of time that it could be a potential scam, and to, to what questions to even ask the scammers, but to disengage, because Absolutely. if there's a if there's something going on, just disengage from it. Hang up. Yep, one hundred percent. Fact check a little bit. And I guess that's the secondary part, fact-checking, mm-hmm. making sure, you know, even calling the grandson. If you, if you don't want to involve the parents for whatever reason, just, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can take five minutes and actually call your grandson to make sure it's the same person that yeah. you have the phone with. Um, you know, that's, that's one step. Looking up uh, if someone tells you that they're part of a police service, for example, and they give you a number. Maybe even just looking up online or in the phone book, for that matter, you know, what the actual police number is to compare and calling to, to confirm it's a real officer. Just taking a breath, taking a step back. Yes. Checking the facts and and having that conversation uh, super important. You know, it's hard to believe that 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 people still um, 
can, can be affected by scams like this. And you never think that it's going to happen to a grandparent, you know, somebody elderly and very vulnerable and, and um, that they're afraid still, right? If they hear there's a police or somebody on the line and, and there's that fear yeah, that absolutely. they could get into trouble. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I mean, I wish I could say that it was it was only limited to grandparents, but yeah. I think everybody's vulnerable to this sort of thing. I know that I myself am, and, uh, you know, you let your guard down for five minutes, and um, it wouldn't work if these guys mm-hmm. and girls weren't, if these criminals weren't good at what they do, if they weren't smooth and convincing, and, and that's the trouble, right? So no one ever has to feel embarrassed by by falling prey to it, for sure. I think I think that's another important message. Mm-hmm. Um, never feel embarrassed about it not your fault it's uh you know you didn't commit the crime so don't be afraid to report it either give the police a call if you've been a victim of it even if you haven't lost any money give us a call see what we can do about it we'd like uh, all the information we can to try and put a stop to this so if if this is happening you want people to call and report it yeah i think that's a great idea absolutely any information that we have about this sort of thing uh, the more information the better well you know john i keep getting some guy calling me about my ducks (laughs) <laughs> he wants to clean them. And I, I have to admit, the last time we had a call, I uh, played along with it, and and um, I told them I was homeless, and I went along with it just to see how the, how far they would go. And in the end, he swore at me and hung up on me, so I felt really good about myself. <laughs> Little victories. Right? <laughs> just one good. small victory for all of us. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, it's those emails, I think, too. I think, um, I've had quite a few of them from people I know and love, and I've paused thinking geez, maybe I better, you know, call them, get in touch with them. So if you get an email from somebody and they're, they say they're over, you know, in another country, they're in trouble, the best thing to do is email them directly and say, this is happening, are you aware of it, you know, because they won't, might not even know that people are using their emails and scamming people with it. Absolutely, I agree. Or, or a second um, type of uh, a communication method to confirm. Maybe it's a phone call yeah. or, or something like that. I mean, uh, there's another common scam where, where email is getting hacked and um, uh, people are pretending to be uh, an employer and uh, calling employees or emailing employees, asking them to buy these thousands of dollars of gift cards and that oh, sort of thing. Gosh. So definitely, it comes down to that fact-checking again. If something feels wrong, mm-hmm. it, it it's probably wrong. is. And, <laughs> and if it's not, it doesn't hurt to check, right? It's so true. You know, one thing I'd like you to talk a bit about, too, is, is um, uh, protecting our children from cybersecurity, of course, and posting pictures and all this information online. As you say on Facebook and social media, I don't think people are realizing that all these images of their children, all the information that's being given out, scammers like this have all this information about you. They have your children's pictures. And even if you think it's cute to post somebody in their little underwear or, or you know, things like that, um, can you give a, a word of caution or talk to us about that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a difficult world we live in, sure is, with all the information that's available to us at our fingertips. Now, uh, it's a little bit out of my area of expertise, mm-hmm. for sure, the cybercrime uh, on that level. Uh, and I, the last thing I want to do, too, is, uh, you know, is promote any fear about it that's, yeah. uh, you know, beyond what's reasonable. But, but certainly we have to be aware of what's going out there and the fact that once it's out there, I mean, it's out there probably forever. Um, so me, as a parent myself, actually, I, I try and take an active role, right? I make sure that um, my kids are comfortable showing me what they have online and, mm-hmm. uh, and that the parental controls are in place for, uh, for the younger members yep. of our family yep. so that they don't accidentally stumble onto things, which may or may not have happened. I might have learned a hard lesson a couple of times in my household. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but that's the way it is. Yeah, you, yeah. you just have to be vigilant, really. Um, not afraid. Yeah. Just vigilant. And, um, yeah, make sure that you're engaged with your family. That always seems to be the best medicine. But, uh, again, we're kind of walking out of my depth, I guess, or, or roaming. You did a fine job, John. I th- <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the message is, you know, check in with your families. Make sure you know what your kids are, are seeing online. Protect ourselves from, from these scams and cybersecurity is becoming more and more of an issue. And, and I'll be talking about that on future shows. Because we, I think, are, are so sweet and loving and naive and want the world to know everything about us and see everything. But the world is not. And we have to protect ourselves and protect our grandparents and our loved ones. So thank you so much for coming on the show, John. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's keep our grandparents safe. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Wow, that's really something to hear. So let's go to break and talk about it when we get back. So who's been scammed lately? Anybody want to admit to it? You know, I have to to tell you when the last um, person who had called our home and wanted to clean our ducks, I just... You know, you just get this feeling of, of, of just so much frustration because he seemed to call at the, the worst of times. Usually it's dinner or your favorite show's on or you've just gotten home from work. So um, I have been doing different things to just kind of drive them crazy because I think it's all fair play, right? We just got to push back and do and just, just small victories for the little man, I'm telling you. So coming up on our next segment is something that we're all being uh, hit pretty hard with and it's inflation. And as we talked about this morning and, and throughout today and, and the top of my show, I talked about the price of gas. And I wonder um, if anybody can let, let us know, is it past $1.84 yet? It's just incredible how much is going up. But before we do that, we've got Tom on the line. And Tom, let's talk. How are you? <laughs> how are you? So, hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, should we talk about uh, inflation or the scams? The scams, please. Okay, the scams. Uh, the biggest thing is the the number never shows up, or if it does, mm. it's a real number, and then if you try to call it back, there's nobody there. But uh, <clears throat> the most vulnerable, some of them will be hit hard. Uh, the way to do it is, if you realize that the phone number is a number out of touch, out of area, out of country, then you know it's a scam. Yeah. And if it sounds too good to be true, it is. But usually what I tell them about these guys that say uh, the credit cards and everything, uh, somebody has used it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, here, uh, I asked them, have you been to Egypt? And oh. said, no, I said, I had a big problem there. And uh, I, I tell them, go and sit on the biggest pyramid. And then they say. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that for the next time I get a call. Thank you so much for calling us and sharing that, Tom. That was great. And now we're going to break for the news. And we are back, Kitchener Today. I'm Brenda Halloran, your guest host for this afternoon. So who's been grocery shopping lately? I have, and I can't believe it. I went into the store yesterday to pick up something, and I honestly had to stand there and look at it because the price had gone up significantly. 
uh, for just an, uh, an average item, and I, I had to really think about, do I really need this? Do do I want to buy it? Do I want to spend money on it? And it, it's, um, I, I think a lot of people are starting to feel that way. And um, just for some statistics, food prices in Canada are going up again. So from the Canada's Food Price Report of 2022, they forecast an overall food price increase of 5 to 7% for the coming year the highest predicted increase in food prices since the inception of the report 12 years ago. And the most significant increases are predicted for dairy and restaurants at 6 to 8%, and bakery and vegetable goods at 5 to 7%. These are, these are needed items that we would all be buying and purchasing, and um, this is big. This is a big increase and a big hit to uh, families' budgets. And um, on the, the line today, we have Dr. Simon Simoji, and Dr. Simon is the Errol Chair in the Business of Food in the School of Hospitality at the University of Guelph. Uh, Simon, um, what, are, what can you tell us about inflation and the price of food and where we're heading? Yeah, it's, it's not great news, Brenda. We, we predicted back in December the, uh, at the food price report you mentioned, a 3 to 5% increase in the food prices. But since that time, the recent statistics uh, from February this year show that in Ontario, uh, food is up by about 6.1% oh. in the last 12 months. Wow. And, and for some food categories, it's even higher. So just in Ontario, the last 12 months, meat's up by 6.7%, uh, bakery 7.1%, uh, fruit 6.9%. So when we predicted back in December that a 5 to 7% increase uh, would occur, we're sort of at the higher end of that 5 to 7% increase, which isn't a good news at all. So tell us how we're going to deal with this. You know, people who are on, especially mm. seniors who are on fixed budgets and mm. and a lot of families, you know, are just, they've, they've got a budget for their food for the month. Mm. What are we going to do? What, what advice can you give them? Yeah, there's a few things that people can do to reduce uh, the, the cost of their food bill. I think, you know, we all want to help out restaurants that have had a pretty hard time during COVID, but restaurant food is expensive. So, you know, try to eat out less and try to cook more at at home. Uh, A few other things, uh, you know, look at flyers, buy up on special. uh, And if you've got a chest freezer or a large freezer at home and you can freeze things, you know, buy up uh, particularly things like meat when when it's uh, on special and uh, freeze those things. Uh, or only buy what you need. A lot of people buy way more food than they need, and then it sits in the refrigerator, it goes mm. off. And, and not only is that bad because it's wasted food, but it's also throwing away money. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, a few other things, uh, you know, in-store in deals, like, you know, eat-tonight items that are close to the use-by date that are still good to eat, but they can be a lot cheaper. Um, so, yeah, a few things people can do. You know, I'm not sure if, if um, this is something you could share with us, but, uh, you know, there's always been talk about looking at the best before dates, especially on dairy products, and that quite often they're, they're just put on there just to give people an idea. Mm. So is, well, is it wise to, to, you know, can you extend the, the um, best before dates on food? Definitely. Uh, best before means that it's at its top peak condition on the date that it says that it's best before. But after that date, it's still fine to to consume. Now, other things like dairy, you know, we've done the smell test when we've opened yeah, some, yeah. some milk or some other uh, cheese or uh, yogurt or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's a big difference between 
best before an expiry. Obviously, expiry dates, you don't want to eat things, something that's past that. It's not going to be good for you. But yeah, best before it still means it's okay. You know, it, it's really hard not to dispose of that if, if you haven't eaten it. You know, I, I have to stop myself too because it still seems like a flag in my head. Oh my gosh, it's best before and don't eat it. It could be bad for you, but you're saying it, it's it's okay. It is okay. You know, you've got to be a little bit careful once that best before date is way past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's something close to that date, you should generally be okay. You know, I'm sure all of us have, my husband will eat anything that doesn't have, have green mold on it. So quite often, <laughs> I, think, I think there's a lot of fellas out there who just uh, hate to throw out food because I know my husband hates to throw out food. But um, I understand that Canadians, we waste horrific amounts of good food. Mm. Yeah, we, there's, a, there's a, been some recent reports that show that we're sort of wasting up to about 40% of the food that's produced. Now, wow. uh, you have to look into the data a little bit, which we've done, and you know, about half of that 40%, or to just say 20% of all the food, are things like peels and skins and bones mm-hmm. and things that you can't eat. But there is still a, a significant amount of waste that's occurring. And much of it is occurring along the food supply chain where where the, the product hasn't got, it's taken too long to get to a grocery store, you know, particularly if it's fragile things like fruits and vegetables. Uh, it's just taken too long and it's perished. Um, and also consumers as well, but when we, when we buy things because, uh, and I'm sure we've all done this, we've all gone to a grocery store when we're hungry and we see everything that looks and smells great, but mm-hmm. then uh, we, we forget to eat it. So it's, yeah, I think it's a tough time for people. It's really now more than ever to be really smart about how people buy food and, and where they buy it from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a good way of, of not wasting and, and not throwing away money. Can you share with us, you know, kind of what this food supply chain looks like? So for fruits and mm. vegetables and where they're coming from and kind of the journey, because we all hear they, mm. you know, they, they pick fruit when it's not hardly ripe. And by the time they get to us, that's, yeah. you know, the condition that it would be in. Yeah, so for certain products, uh, let's just take, say, fruits and vegetables, which we sort of have to get from uh, a long way way away at this point, at this time of year, because it's just too cold Mm -hmm. outside uh, to grow it. So we get a lot of our uh, fruits and vegetables from South America, uh, from Mexico, uh, and from places in the U.S. like California and Arizona. And, you know, they go, they're harvested in the morning, they're then put on trucks, or even ship, shipping containers, and then uh, they're driven up to Canada or sailed up to Canada. Uh, and then once it gets to the across the border or to the port, then a, a truck typically has to take it to a distribution centre for a grocery store. And then from the distribution centre, the grocery store will then send the product to all the individual stores. Uh, so the, the chain works quite well when we had all the blockades uh, a few weeks ago blocking the uh, the border that really slowed down mm-hmm. some shipments and we started to see some outages of products or particularly for some fruits and vegetables or we just saw them on the shelves and they just weren't the best quality mm-hmm. uh, so there's a lot of uh, you know based, based on where we are in Canada and the weather that we have we, we do have to import uh, that's a good thing in that we can have numerous suppliers or what we call chains from different areas around the world that can supply us with the food we, we need because if there's a flood somewhere or drought or fires, we have other options uh, to get food onto our shelves. So it, it's a complex system, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it works reasonably well. 
You know, when you talk about how the journey of just a, a piece of fruit and how mm-hmm. how much cost keeps getting added on and on to it as it's mm. being transported. So is that a, a part of inflation and what's happening? Mm. So one of the biggest impacts on food prices is the cost of fuel and the cost mm. of labor. Um, I would say that the three most expensive things a business or a person or particularly a business can do in a food supply chain is move things or move food, uh, employ people and refrigerate things. Uh, and for things like fruits and vegetables, that typically involves all of those three elements. Uh, so what that typically means is when we're seeing the fuel costs rising dramatically, as we have seen over the last few weeks, that really puts pressure on, on food prices. We also have the issue of exchange rates, and, and most food is well, most of the food we get is trade, traded in U.S. dollars. Now the Canadian dollar has been quite strong against the greenback; it's close to 80 cents, uh, which is good. Um, but yeah, fuel is a, has a big impact because, uh, you know, the, the, without moving product to grocery stores and to people, um, we don't get food and, mm-hmm. and that requires fuel. You know, when you talk about buying local and, and, um, really supporting the Canadian food sector mm-hmm. industry, but, but we are limited because we, we aren't able to produce a lot of the, you know, the, the fruits and vegetables that we enjoy. Mm. But in Leamington, places like Leamington mm. have miles mm. and miles of, um, of the hothouses mm. and, and that. Uh, mm. Where do you see the future for their food production? Are they, are they able to expand what they're producing and, and looking at, you know, may, maybe more mm. types of fruits and vegetables that are traditionally coming from southern countries? Mm. It's a good point. So the, the, uh, we do have a massive greenhouse or what we call indoor farming sector in Canada, uh, particularly in BC and very much out in uh, Leamington and, and, and close to Windsor uh, in Ontario. And uh, they typically grow, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, some berries, um, uh, those types of vegetables. And a lot of those, that product ends up going uh, to the US, but we also have some of that production here. Uh, so that's, that's good. We, we, we could be producing, as you said at the beginning, I should say, you're right, we are hampered by very short seasons mm. in Canada and we have to import a lot when it's just too cold outside. So uh, we, we could be following other countries whereby we could be investing more in indoor farming. Uh, we are seeing more and more of that investment over time, uh, but more investment could be made into research and development to make greenhouses or indoor farming more efficient, but also be able to produce different types of fruits and vegetables within those greenhouses so we could be less reliant on others. And I even think that maybe in 20, 30, 50 years' time, we could be exporting uh, fruits and vegetables from our greenhouses to places like California and Hmm. Arizona and other dry places in the U.S. because it's just going to be too dry in those locations. So uh, we could really be a powerhouse uh, in that area, um, we will still have to import products. We can't produce everything in greenhouses, and greenhouse production is sometimes a little bit more expensive. Uh, but it's definitely something that we could be uh, putting more effort into. You know, I hadn't thought about that. You know, in twenty years' time, because of what what mm. the conditions of the world are going to be like, because we do, are hearing about California that you know they are their water reserves are, are mm. dwindling, um, and there's always you know fears about. Uh, floods and disasters and, and geopolitical issues that, that stop the supply of food mm. globally. Mm. And, you know, that that kind of is reassuring to me that we could be in a position that we are able to produce things that we, we still would like to have. 
definitely. I think we we could really expand from from what we currently have. We we have do have expertise in that area. But if you think about a greenhouse or other types of indoor farming, you know, I think the normal person thinks of a greenhouse as a big glass building or box where, where food is grown. Um, but modern greenhouses are very technical. There's a lot of robotics and automation, um, a lot of areas that involve specific lighting. Um, uh, so there's a lot of very sort of technical, uh, scientific um areas of work that go towards developing new types of greenhouses and indoor farming so it's not we, we could also be in a position of not being able to not sorry we could be in a position to produce more food here but we could also create more high-tech well-paid jobs in those types of sectors as well but it's not just about farming mm-hmm. so there is a lot of um you know you, you look at the future of indoor farming what is the future of, of the traditional outdoor farming I think there will always be outdoor farms. I think mm-hmm. they provide, um, you know, we, we have a very vibrant rural sector in Canada and I don't think we'll be, ever be able to produce everything indoors. Um, we, we're seeing technology developments um, in, in various areas of, as I said, indoor farming, but also other areas, what we call cellular agriculture, which is uh, producing meats and uh, other types of protein, particularly dairy protein in a... Uh, in a, essentially is, is an indoor environment through a set of um, process, fermentation processes is probably the best way to explain it. So there's some very interesting developments in that space. There will always be farms, that the farms may look different in the future. Um, but there's, yeah, the farm isn't going away anytime soon. Well, it's reassuring to hear, you know, because there's so much change in the future, but but we still need our farms and we, our farmers and, and the production of food products that they bring to us. Um, I was curious, you were talked initially at the beginning about restaurants and, um, you know, just the impact of, of rising costs on the hospitality industry. And, and are you, do you have some concerns for that industry? You know, restaurants were probably, in my opinion, the hardest hit yeah. sector of the agri-food supply chain. And when I think of the agri-food supply chain, I think, I think you know, the farm, the, the processor, the wholesaler, the, the retailer, the, the, so the grocery store, and also the restaurant. They, you know, d- due to laws, they had to shut down overnight for mm. significant periods of time. No, no, no other part of the, of the food supply chain had to. Uh, so first of all, they, they were doing it very tough. Um, since they've opened up, they've found it very hard to find workers and you know, they've been offering higher wages and benefits, and that, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those higher costs get passed on in higher menu prices. Um, so, you know, they're, they're looking to, you know, reduce the number of menu items that they have, um, even looking to reduce portion sizes as well. Um, because, it, it, you know, it, the, everything that is felt by farms and, and, and the fuel prices of moving things and, you know, different types of... Uh, fertilizer and animal feed costs and everything that goes into making food eventually gets passed down the food supply yeah. chain to to grocery stores and to restaurants so they're they're, they're doing it really tough um but the, the the restaurant sector is a is a resilient sector that is it's been known for being able to find ways of, of doing things better so um it's been tough but but yeah. i still feel good that the sector will be um uh, into the future doing well that's that's really good news to hear you know, at the University of Guelph, um, there's so so many exciting, innovative um, projects that come through. And, and I was wondering, can you share with with us anything that you've seen recently about food production or or kind of how uh, food security things that are changing and that Canada's taking the lead on? 
You know, Canada's uh, very much a, a, a rural and, and farming country. It has its urban areas and its rural areas. And, and you know, if you think about across Canada, you know, in, in, the, in the prairie sectors, you know, it's very much grains and oil seeds and also uh, cattle production for beef. Um, but, but there's a lot of work going in Ontario, which really is the, the, the food basket of Canada. If you think about if you go to a grocery store, you know, most of the products that you will find that have been made in Canada have been made probably within 200 kilometre radius of of uh, Toronto, uh, particularly in places like Mississauga, where we have big uh, food processes and those types of products. So, you know, Canada is working hard on, as I said, developing things like indoor farming, um, looking at new ways of using technology to make farming more efficient. Uh, and we call that area of what precision agriculture, so very much based around not just driving a tractor around a field, but using mm-hmm. sensors and um, other types of artificial intelligence to make sure that we can maximise the amount of uh, food that we can make from the land, but just reducing the amount of pesticides and herbicides and other wasted products that can hurt the environment, but are also cost as well. So, yeah, the University of Guelph and Ontario is, is really driving the Canadian uh, food sector, um, and also a lot of good work's going on. Well, it's always so nice to hear something positive at the end of a discussion. Um, inflation's going to hit us hard, but you've given us some really good advice on, you know, looking for the deals. And um, maybe if you don't have a freezer, invest in a freezer. It might be a, an upfront cost, but it's a long-term investment to, to really help, you know, cut back on, on having to buy something at a higher price than when it's on sale. But I think mm. all those coupon clipper people, I, I applaud you because I think we're going to be looking mm. more and more at coupons and how to buy food. And uh, when mm. you go into the, the grocery stores, try not to stand in front of something with your mouth hanging open for too long at the cost Definitely. of it and how it's mm. gone up and things. Mm. And, um, you know, just just realize how fortunate we are to be living in an area of especially mm. southwestern Ontario that has this great ability to produce food and um and we have the university of guelph and people like you who are doing all this this cool stuff so thank you so much for joining us today simon my pleasure brenda thank you very much for having me thank you well inflation it's here for a while and on that happy note we're going to go for a break look at flyers buy up on special uh, and if you've got a chest freezer or a large freezer at home and you can freeze things you know buy up particularly things like meat when when it's uh, on special and uh, freeze those things or only buy what you need a lot of people buy way more food than they need and then it sits in the refrigerator it goes mm. off and, and not only is that bad because it's wasted with food but it's also throwing away money Well, none of us want to throw away money, and uh, we've got a lot of worries about inflation rising up right now. But right now, we have a caller on the line. Donna, great for you to call in. Thanks. Good afternoon, Brenda. Great show again today. I really are enjoying it. Lots of interesting topics and guests. Something I've been trying to do is really watch my prices at the supermarket and get back to basics. I've noticed you can get things that are not only good for you, but can fill you up for reasonable prices. Things like your potatoes, your celery, your carrots, your onions, barleys, broths, etc., etc., may not be the most keto-friendly, however. <laughs> then you turn these things into longtime family favorites, such as chicken stew, beef barley soup, and why not try borscht or even goulash in honor of all those wonderful people in the Ukraine? Yeah, you know, it's really good advice. Keep going. Are you there? 
Did we lose Donna? She was giving us some good advice, and I'm getting hungry just thinking about that. But, you know, it's really true. I think we're going to be seeing um, people accessing a lot more recipes about about making stews and soups and sauces um, to extend your meat, to extend, um, you know, the products that you have in your fridge and, and try to cut back on how much money you spend at the grocery store. I can't imagine the impact it's going to have, especially on younger families, uh, people with teenagers who who need milk and, and a lot of food. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a big impact. And we've been very, very fortunate to, to not have to worry that much about food prices in this community, the, the region. But um, we're being affected by it, and it's going to make an impact on where we're heading with our food. I know that I tend to buy more than I should, and I think about that too. And, and um, when COVID first started and everybody was running out to buy toilet paper, you know, I was also thinking then, what type of canned foods do we need? Like if anything changes, what do we need? But um, yeah, we're going to have to think differently and, and uh, that's okay because there are a lot of people in this world who don't even have access to the food that we have. So, you know, we always have to put the yin with the yang and think about, okay, this is really tough for us. But we're pretty blessed still. We've got an incredible supply of food. But I, I think I must have embarrassed myself yesterday when I was standing in front of this, this section of the, the uh, grocery store. And I, I, I read the sign over and over because it's gone up so much in such a short time. And I really had to rethink if we needed it or not. And that, um, that's first for me, a real first for me. So coming up on our next segment is something that everybody has and that's pet peeves i'm going to be talking with polly our producer polly and producer Brittany, and we're going to talk about pet peeves and i want you to call in please call in because we've been talking about some some pretty heavy duty stuff right now and it's okay to have pet peeves uh do you look like somebody um who was a famous person that you met like everything's on the table right now we're gonna have a half hour of just sharing some really interesting stuff but i want to hear from you So we will return after the news. Thank you. So we're here to talk about some really serious stuff now. Pet peeves. Who out there has a pet peeve? And let's see who can have the best pet peeve in the studio. So joining me today is our producer, Polly, and producer, Brittany, both fantastic people to work with. I've, uh, I've had so much fun so far, and the topics that we've been talking about, there's, there's no end in sight. So we've got lots of good shows coming up ahead. So I'm going to start off, because producer Polly has said uh, he's got a pet peeve, but he could not share it with us, Brittany, yet, so I don't even know. I'm, I'm a little scared. <laughs> um, I don't, you know... I, I'm I don't just as in the dark. I have no idea what he's going this to say. Be pretty bad. So... I'll start mine off. All right. Just so you know kind of how we're supposed to do this, Polly, just in case you got other ideas of what pet peeves are. It's not about pets. Got no. that? No. No, okay. No. There's lots of things <laughs> that my three cats do to tick me off, but no, it's not about okay. pets. Okay. All right. My pet peeve, and this one, I, you know, it's just getting to me. It's really getting to me is that people are not doing the wave. So when you let somebody in or you're being a nice driver, you always just sort of looking for the wave. You know, that little wave in the window. Thank you. Thank you, little wave. And, you know, I wait for it. And I'm sitting there stewing. Where's the wave? Give me the wave. Why didn't they do the wave? And I get a little obsessed about it. And I think (laughs) I need to stop. But we used to be a lot more... um, not more gracious to people when they let us in line. So I would like to see that we have a, a massive 
international campaign to bring back the wave when you let somebody in or you cut somebody off and they're swearing at you. Okay. Now, even worse than the wave mm-hmm. is... So what... If you, <laughs> is the wave at sporting events. No, no, no. Well, oh, that, oh that, man. That is annoying. But that's not what I'm going to get to. <laughs> oh, see, I'm that one person so, that actually likes that. <laughs> are you kidding? No. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, come on. No, no, come no, on, no, Jake. No. We got to do it. No, I am not... <laughs> Inter- I'm interested in watching the ball game. I'm not interested in being part but of your... But come on, Polly, here comes the wave. No, it's coming no, around. I'm not interested <laughs> well, in being wave. part of your humanity-filled <laughs> lava lamp human experiment. <laughs> Stop it. No, but so on. Okay. Uh, in regards to the wave, yes. it bugs me when I'm in traffic, and you know, maybe it's a traffic jam, and somebody squeezes their way in. Oh, I yeah. wasn't letting them in. No. They let themselves in, yeah. and then they wave. I'm like... Why are you <laughs> waving? I wasn't letting you in. You just took it. That might have been me. <laughs> Polly, okay. I do the wave. Polly, okay, you're, you don't like that that person's squeezing their way in, but maybe they're thinking, oh, that jerk is not letting me That's in. Right. That's right. Maybe. So while maybe. you're a pet peeve for someone, or that's a pet peeve for you yeah. for some some yeah I can't words yeah it's just funny yeah you don't let the, they let themselves <laughs> in and they wave as if it was your choice. <laughs> So. All right. Well, we we need people to really think about the wave, okay? Because it really is spoiling my my day to day driving, and and I think there's something <laughs> wrong with the music. I actually looked for it, and I'm like a kid. I'm disappointed. Where yeah. is the wave? <laughs> Acknowledge me. Give me a wave. All right, Polly. <laughs> let's hear it. All right. Well, before we get to mine, we are inviting people to call in. Yes. This half hour with their pet peeves. Anything yeah. you want. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570 hands free. All right. All right. So my, okay, this is something that once you see, (laughs) you will not be able to unsee. This is radio. Okay. This is radio. I I apologize ahead of time for ruining everybody's Uh day. Oh, no. So mine is regarding shutters on houses. Okay. Now... Hold on. You're like, you'll you'll get it in a second. So obviously, like shutters on houses are a functional thing. Usually Mm -hmm. you see them in smaller towns or in outlying areas, not Mm -hmm. so much in the city. Mm -hmm. In the city, it's more of a decorative thing. And it can be a very cute thing to have those, you know, those plastic shutters, you know, as a decorative thing on a house. What bothers me is if, hypothetically, if the shutters on the house whatever house I'm looking at, were functional, they wouldn't cover the window that they're supposed to be covering. So when your Mm. little decorative shutters are thinner than the window that they would hypothetically supposed to be covering, drives me crazy. That's terrible. (laughs) I've never heard of anything so terrible in my life, Polly. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't. Just of all don't. the pet peeves in oh, the world. I was, I was afraid he's going to say something disgusting no, like that. It's when the, yeah, the, it, it, the shutters, if they were functional, have to cover the window that they were oh, intending to cover. I'm going to go home and, and measure my shutters now. I'm, yep, just going to be staring at everybody's houses <laughs> <Shutters>. now. Cursing, oh, cursing up right, a storm. Brittany, what do you got for us today? Okay, mine actually falls a little bit in the same realm as yours does. Okay. Because I hate when people are not, um, they're not polite or they're not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, courteous or anything like yeah. that. So I hate, I strongly dislike, I will not use the, the H, H word because yeah. it is a strong word, 
But I strongly dislike when you hold the door open for somebody oh, yeah. and they don't say thank you. Yeah. So I am that person. When they walk through the door, I yell, you're welcome. I thought I was And the when only they one. turn and look at you like, oh, the <sighs> audacity of her to yell at me. But yes. Hello. It's so true. You know, what where are we where are we going that we're losing all just, just our, our polite ways? We used to be a polite society. I'm mm-hmm. really worried about us. And you know, even with COVID wearing a mask, like I, I find people don't even make eye contact. You yeah. find that now? People yeah. just don't want to look at you and talk to you. They just want to go home. I know. I, and you know what? I still find myself smiling at people behind my <laughs> yeah. mask. And you can tell you can tell a little bit you when somebody's smiling. Yeah. Well, it, it all depends how old you are, too. Yeah, <laughs> if so, if somebody line. is genuinely smiling at you and not just faking it, you can see it in the eyes. You yeah. can There's see been it. scientific yeah. studies done on that. You yeah. can. Okay, we got some callers in. Rob, what is your pet peeve? Hey, Brenda, I'd just like to say, first of all, you're doing a great job. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, really love listening to you in the afternoons here. Oh, thanks. I'm not your pet peeve. That's that's a good start. No, you're not my pet peeve. <laughs> no, one of the other hosts, maybe, though. Uh, I, I, I sure hope Mr., uh, or should I say Sir Mike Farwell is listening. He better be. One of my pet peeves is... Uh, Folks that don't like raisins and their butter tarts. Like, uh, <laughs> all right, that's Rob, I'm sorry, oh, Rob. On, I do Rob. not like raisins no, in my butter either. tarts. What? Oh, no, way. but I don't like the raisins at all. Yeah. I don't like raisins at all. I think the texture is disgusting. <sighs> yeah, Rob, I'm sorry, but that that just crosses a line. Raisins in your oh, butter tarts. You became his pet peeve. I'm your pet peeve. <laughs> we are, Rob. We are okay, and it's okay to not like raisins. Right. There, Rob, there's people out you. There's people out there like you that will eat them for us. Rob, Good I'm point. with you. I'll eat the raisins with you, Rob. All right. Paul, well, somebody's color. got to. It, wow. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about the pecans, though. Oh, I, I love the I pecans. Mean, what? Oh best. my gosh. Okay, Paul. I'm learning take so them much or about leave you today. Them. I can take them or leave them. They're okay, but I do prefer my butter tarts with raisins. Oh, Wait, this is no. a big question, you know. All right, we got Mark on the line. Mark, what's your pet peeve? Oh, hi. Uh, first, I want to say um, it's been nice listening to you so far, Brenda. Thank you. It's, it's been enjoyable. Okay, uh, small pet peeve. Everybody shovels their sidewalk in the winter, of course. Yep. And I've got a neighbor that does theirs, but they do theirs so early in the morning, like um, way before I even get up. But they will not go half an inch onto my <laughs> sidewalk. That's how They'll I know. stop right at the borderline. They won't even go a quarter of an inch onto mine. Oh, so that's gosh. a small pet peeve. Yeah, see, but you know, we all, it's true. I live in a, I live in a semi-detached, and I just, oh, you're that you know, guy. I, I do the sidewalk on my neighbor. In fact, in the, in the, in the summer... Because our front lawns aren't that big, I'll just cut my neighbor's lawn too. I'll just keep Aww, on going. Polly. It's yeah. not that big, so that's just being neighborly. But I mean, yeah. like, come on, I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm with you. What's your other okay. one? Oh, that's all. I only had the one, Brenda. Oh, you're such a nice person, but you know that's hysterical. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to watch for that now when I walk around the neighborhood. Okay, our second caller on the line is Mark. Yes, hello. Hi. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I'm so glad you have the show today because this this item has been bugging me forever. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the fake eating on television. Do you know when you on those when they're advertising for a burger joint and the people take a fake bite? Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've and never then they noticed that. To chew, but they, there's there's nothing in there. Still that, oh, it drives me around the bend. <laughs> oh, anyway, you know what? I'm gonna, that that's going to bug me too now. Wow. <laughs> I've never noticed the fake bite. Is that, that a thing? 
I, I don't, I've never noticed the fake bite, but I'll tell you what I have noticed uh. is the fact that, you know, the burger doesn't look how it does on the commercial when yeah. you get it. Never. <laughs> there you go. There's that so, pet peeve. Yeah. Yeah. That lettuce just isn't as fresh looking when you get your burger. <laughs> All right. Another pet peeve. What have we got coming? Brittany, tell me another pet oh, peeve. Oh gosh. I, I have got so many. many. You know, people who don't use their signal. Oh, like, yeah, just use your signal. How am I supposed to know if you're if you're turning, mm. you know, if if you're not using your signal? So. Do, you, do you throw your hands up in disgust and hope they see you? Listen, I do a lot of things while I'm driving. Okay? <laughs> not just or their fingers that must go up in the air. All right. We've got Gary on the line. Gary, what's your pet peeve? Uh, I guess more of a grammar thing Ooh. when you uh, ask somebody how they're doing and they say, oh, not too, too bad. I'm like. What does that even mean? There's no two two. There, it's just two, not too bad. Is it like a T U T U, a two two, like a, 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 a somebody's uh, not exactly a ballet sure dress? What the reason is behind that one? It just bugs the heck out of me. I, you know what? I'll, I'll make sure I never say that again. Yeah, I'm going to check goodness. in that I, I do. I'm definitely guilty of that, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> thanks uh, so much, Gary. Yeah, thanks. All right, Polly. We need one from you. I know you have a list over there. It bothers me when people say, anyways. It's not oh. anyways. It's anyway. It's not a plural. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, I have another pet peeve. So when I was getting gro- gas the other day and, and I was sitting in my, my car, I, I just, you know, you, you're watching people ahead of you and they're putting their gas in the car and you, you just, they're on slow motion. They have to put every button on the machine. They wait for their, their printout and I just... I could hardly stand it. I almost jumped out of the car and started screaming because I keep thinking, how many buttons is there to push when you're getting gas on, on the, the gas uh, tank? That's, so that's you want people mind. to be faster. Just jump out, put your card in, get in. You're you know, eager. Just go. There's 500 cars behind us and we're all wasting <laughs> gas. But you know what? I think that that's a problem with um, society now is we just expect things to be to happen we tr- quick we and, and now, right? So yeah. I think... We need to learn to be a little more okay, patient. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah, Brenda, yeah. I don't mean to, you know. I feel bad about myself. Throw down your, your pet peeves. <laughs> such a terrible person. <laughs> I shouldn't have pushed that person out of the way when I ran up and screaming. But, oh, well, I'm sure they've forgiven me. <laughs> but I'm sure I wasn't the only one sitting there clutching my charge card ahead of time, even though I was 20 cars behind, just just getting ready. All right. All right. Have you got another one, Brittany? Um, I can't think of one. Let's take a quick break, though, and uh, come back with some more. I hope Polly's ready for it. (laughs) All righty. Give us a call, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570 from your phones. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. All right. We're back with probably the most important discussion of the decade. We're talking about what is your pet peeve. We've been kind of sharing ours with you, and I'm still really shattered about the shutters that, um, and it gave me the shutters, just thinking about Polly's shutters. So yeah. I'm really, uh, I got to go home. And you will not be able to unsee it when you're driving around <laughs> the neighborhood. When you said that, that, I was not thinking of shutters. All right. We have Rob on the phone. Rob, what's your pet peeve? Hello. Hi. Hi. My pet peeve is the uh, media. Uh, I'm just tired of the uh, you know the one-sided news they give. Yeah. I, I want both sides of the news, and that that's my pet peeve. All right. Thanks, Rob. That's lovely. 
Okay, and now we have Sean. Sean, what's your pet peeve for today? Oh, it's going to sound funny. I hate the term breakfast all day. <laughs> really? What's the matter with that? If I choose to have <laughs> bacon, eggs, and chips for dinner, I'm having bacon, oh, eggs, man. and chips for dinner. I'm not having breakfast for dinner. Breakfast is the first meal of the day. You know, Sean, so you don't like I'm when people you. say, oh, yeah, I'm having breakfast for dinner tonight. Drives me around the bloody twist. <laughs> It's like you don't know what the word means. <laughs> so when you hear a restaurant has all-day breakfast, does that bother you, or is there something else that I'm like? Mm. Am I thinking this of the wrong way? This is deep. It drives me nuts. Drives him nuts. You know. Oh, oh sorry, Sean. Oh, I thought you were done. Come on, we were just getting to the root of his problems. Sean, call back. <laughs> exactly. And we'll put you on. Exactly. I thought, poor, I thought oh, we were going to pull back some some more of those layers there and find out what really bothers him, and I think, then I think bam. Polly. Yeah, yeah, there's something to that. <laughs> but I, you know, that is true. There's so many weird things that you see, and you just kind of think, what does that mean? Breakfast mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah, uh, you know what? Actually, <laughs> I I told this story not too long ago to to Mike, but we, one pet peeve I have is when people don't pick up after their dogs. Oh. And we actually had somebody walking by our house a few weeks back who she was walking by with her little dog. The dog went to the bathroom and my husband and I were standing in the window because it was on the weekend and we saw she she was Did looking around to make sure <gasps> nobody was oh, looking. Wow. So when my husband ran outside to say, excuse me, can you clean up after your dog? She then tried to lie about it and say, no, no, she didn't. We saw. All oh, right. We saw man. what happened there. You got to take pride in what your dog does. Yeah. You want to own a dog, own it, be own a responsible dog own owner. And pick up after your dog. Own that poop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tom, can you match that for a pet peeve? You're uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Uh, can I speak about Ukraine or something else? Well, we're talking well, we're about doing pet, pet peeves. Tom, you told me you wanted to do pet peeves. Come so on. Pet that's peeve. my pet peeve when Tom calls in <laughs> and well, doesn't pet. even know what we're talking about. How about that? <laughs> Jeez. Holy, that's but a real You guys pet are peeve. doing a great job so far. <laughs> and we love you too, Tom. Thank you so much for calling in. <laughs> okay, anyway, the pet peeve is, is I see a lot of uh, big dogs like Rottweiler, German Shepherds. They send the, the kids to walk them mm. and they let them unleash. Like, I mean, these are dogs that are territorial and it could be dangerous. So, yeah, good that's point. the only thing. That's a good yeah. point. That's a really good. That is no, a no, pet. No, no, no. I'm saying uh, uh, there's all kinds of bitings or, or attacks that are happening, and this is uh, these are big dogs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, but you know they they're territorial. They they will attack. But you know what, Tom? I think a lot of that comes down to the dog owner, right? It's all no, about no, how. I know it's always that, but I mean, you're not dealing with something to program. You can treat them well, but they want to protect the owner. They want to protect their area. And uh, if you come and see them and you're a stranger, like, why do they attack these kids? Like, if it's the owner, no. Yeah. You have to have them on leash and a muzzle if you have the big ones. And you can't let a five-year, 10-year, or 12-year-old child walk them. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if they start walking, they're going to break from you. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thank you so much for the call. All right. We got another another caller. Rudy, what's your pet peeve? 
Yes, good day. My pet peeve is when you go to a grocery store and you're in the meat section and they have the meat replacement stuff, like the, the oh. veggie meat. Mm-hmm. Like spam? No, no vegetable sausage and stuff like that, right? Vegetable yeah. patties. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. like the Beyond Meat yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. That should be in the vegetable department or something like that, but not in the meat department because it's not meat. Oh, that's, solid yeah, point. that's a really good point. That's solid. You know, you don't don't put the meatless burgers in with the burgers. Huh. Put them in the vegetable section. I like it. I never thought about that. Now I'm going to be peeved. Sean. Yeah. Well, continuing along in a vein of, like, if you decide to have pizza for breakfast, you say you're having... <laughs> You've all been young, right? I love it. Now, do you ever say you're having dinner for breakfast? No, you do not. (laughs) We have touched a nerve with Sean, okay? And not only that. Yes. I I come from a British background, and we eat eggs and bacon any time, any day. And beans. And beans, yes. You do. Those are great breakfasts, Okay, so, so, Sean, okay, now we're getting to the real, real stuff here. You wouldn't consider then any food to be specifically a breakfast food then right that is correct okay oh, interesting so would you eat like spaghetti for breakfast uh it, you could it wouldn't be my first choice but it's theoretically possible <laughs> well come on anything is possible sean that, no. is, that you are correct cold pizza after a, a night before is really the only cure isn't it well well the breakfast of champions is cold pizza and warm beer Hey, oh, right. no, no, I didn't no, no, know I learned have, something on the talk You don't have today. warm beer on any occasion. I can get the cold pizza. I've done that before for breakfast. Warm beer, get out of town. Okay, well then, Zoltan, tell us what your pet peeve is. There's three small items. Uh-oh. Two of them are, one is a VIN number. It shouldn't be VIN number. It's either a VIN or a VI number. Oh, good one. All right, because the N also stands for number. That's right. You don't need to say it twice. people. The next one, it's from a bank teller's PIN number. No such animal as PIN number. Oh, the yeah. La- yeah. The last one is a, one, a, a, co- a phrase that Yogi Berra coined, deja vu all over again. <laughs> There's no True. such animal, no. except it sure as hell looks good on, on Yogi Berra when he said <laughs> it. The guy was a wonderful man. And I thank you very much for all you're doing. Take care, guys. Thanks. Those are really great points. But I, I think we're just all saying pin number. What's your pin yeah, instead of your PI number? Yeah, that's a, that's a solid point. That's I'm gonna, solid that, that one's going to bug me now for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And you're going to keep saying it anyway because we can't stop. Right? Pin number. All right, Polly, what are we doing next? Next, we are talking about how local businesses have been impacted by COVID, and we have a couple of guests coming on. We sure do. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for calling in. Well, that was a lot of fun talking about pet peeves, and I want to thank our callers for phoning in and telling us what their pet peeves were, because I'm going to have to add them to my list. And you know, I think every day my list gets a little longer, but I try to be a good person. I really try to be a good person and let people in and don't get upset when they don't give me the weight. But I really think that we need to do a big, big project on telling people you got to do the wave especially people who have just graduated with their driver's license. It should be part of that. You got to do the wave. 
But anyways, I have a feeling that's not going to happen. So at the end of the, my show, I always like to bring in some local business leaders who um, uh, have gone through a heck of a lot over the past two years with trying to keep their businesses afloat, what they've had to do, and kind of the, you know, the emotional and, and personal impact on them because it's not been easy. And I think for all of us who don't have our own businesses, um, it's easy to just kind of carry on with, with life. But this is blood and guts for people who, who are out there trying to run a business. And so I want to hear kind of their stories and, and where they're at and, um, and and see, you know, what, what their plans are or how many times they've had to pivot to keep things going. Um, the first, Our first um, owner-operator, owner-founder of a business is Tracy Johnston-Aldworth. I've known Tracy for a long, long time. This community knows her. She's been a, been a big name in this community for years. The leadership she's shown in doing community um, events like the Jazz Festival and and um, buskers and well she's her name's assigned to a lot of amazing things in this community so welcome tracy to the show hey brenda how are you doing well you know what i'm doing okay today's good it's uh covid certainly has its uh own set of problems after two years yeah. <laughs> that's for sure yeah so how have you been impacted trace like how have you kept your company going well, we've been pretty much square wheeling. We're working uh, 30 hours a week, or I'm paying 30 hours a week whether there's work or not. Wow. When we had the government incentives, we were at break even. So we were the perfect kind of small company that could break even almost every month and get by. Now, in all honesty, Brenda, I've had my company, I think I started in 85, so I've just started 37 years. Congratulations. And thank you. Huh. Ooh, knew yeah. I would ever have you a company You were two when long. you started it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And uh, I think that I've been a pretty good saver. So I have a little money tucked away for a rainy day, which is supposed to be for my retirement. But, mm. you know, we're going to use it to get by. And my staff need jobs. I need uh, trained staff. I don't want to lose my employees because I laid them off. I want them to work here. And so... We're square wheeling along, but we're okay. You know, January was a dumpster fire for some reason, mm. and the incentives were gone. So I was really yeah. feeling the pinch. February and this month of March looks like it's going to be good. So it's a bit of a roller coaster. What, what are some things that you had to implement over the past two years? Like, I'm, I'm so impressed with you saying that you were still paying your staff whether the business was coming in or not. Well, you know, certainly they need to eat and they need to pay yeah. their rent. But I, it's also incredibly difficult to hire. And I think the one thing that COVID shocked me was employees who were long-term employees who I thought were very stable, sort of some of them went off the rails and they're no longer at traces, which is very disappointing. Other people stepped up and brought an A game where I didn't even know they had an A game. I thought they were already at their A game. So... My staff is stable. There's not very many of us. We're working our 30 hours. I'm really hoping we can get up to more than 30 hours. But right now we're okay. And so implementation, I don't think we've really implemented a lot of changes. Uh, There aren't a lot of places you can go when you're a manufacturer like me. We have done essential printing, which is great, you know, for uh, nurses and hospitals and all kinds of stuff like that. But basically, we're still doing our regular work that we do in textile screen printing and embroidery and selling promotional products. And what advice do you have for people who um, are not, you know, having as much success and staying afloat for the last few years as what you've done? Well, I think there's a couple ways to look. I saw some companies close down almost right away. 
they saw the writing on the wall that they would have incredible trouble surviving. And I think those are good moves for those people that say, that's it. I'm not going to waste my money trying to, you know, force my way to stay open. For the rest of small business, hang in there. I think we're really close to the end. I think things will start to pick up. But, you know, gosh darn it, it's hard to float your company when you're small. It's hard to keep good employees. It's hard to hire if you have to. And wages have gone up considerably. So unless you're prepared to be a little bit more than a living wage employer, um, it's going to be hard to hire good people. You know, we're hearing that from a lot of local businesses that it is hard to hire good people. Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think some people, like some employees I had that fell off the rails, had worked for a long time and were looking for the break to not work and maybe go on CERB. And some people felt that they should be able to stay home even when they can't. Hmm. We have generations of people that aren't as big uh, a part of the population as some of the other populations of workers. So I think we have less workers to choose from. Also, we had a few people come in and out of traces that looked they were feeling it out. They asked for more money. They got more money. And a couple months later, they were gone because they went to another place with more money. So there wasn't a lot of what I'm used to more, uh, I guess you would say, invested employees, Mm -hmm. where people would get a job, they dig in, they get past their three months and look for a raise. Right now, they can move to places like the university or large manufacturers. They have high wages. They have benefits that I don't offer. You know, the benefits that I offered were our profit sharing, and uh, we had our trip incentive that we went on our trip where I'd take the employees on a trip once a year, which we did for 18 years in a row, but it certainly isn't going to happen during COVID, that's for sure. No, but you've done wonderful things to to incentivize your staff over the years. And I'm talking to Tracy Johnson-Aldworth, who is the CEO, founder, and owner of Tracy's Screen Printing. So you've been in our community since 1985? That's correct. How many T-shirts do you think you've printed? (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny question, and I have no idea. But I probably have printed a million, at least. Wow. Uh, It's incredible that people still love t-shirts they keep t-shirts they talk about their past t-shirts and some people have collections of t-shirts and they'll bring in t-shirts that we printed 35 years ago to show me that they still have it so i still still have customers from 35 years (laughs) ago brenda do you really i do a lot of them are they're getting on a little bit and they've all retired but they still come in to see me so i feel grateful that I've kept so many great relationships for so many years. Mm -hmm. Plus, during COVID, we had companies come in and give us work when I know they didn't really need anything because they were trying to support local business. So hats off to those companies. You know, it's really great to hear about that there still is loyalty out there. Yeah, not a lot, but there's still Mm -hmm. some loyalty out Mm -hmm. there, for sure. Well, how important were the government subsidies for you when you were keeping your business afloat? I think they were make it or break it for us. Uh I think we were the perfect kind of company not too big, and it really just helped us float through. And I felt, I mean, certainly COVID, when you own your own business, can make you feel pretty anxious. Yeah. So with the incentives, it sort of kept me a little bit calmer. But I've certainly, I mean, I lost a lot of sleep in two years. I bet. Just saying. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you feel like you get through day to day. I don't know. I don't know how everybody else is doing. But I mean, like I say, I saw good employees sort of, go bad and 
other employees step up. Come, people have been coming and going. It's not a great environment for me because I'm used to mm-hmm. employees that stay here a long time. Yeah. So that is a big concern for the business. And have you seen that there has been been kind of a change in people wanting to work because of CERB? Like, was that a big thing for small business? I don't think it was a huge thing. Yeah. But for people that were maybe, I we do living wage, so we don't start at minimum wage. But I noticed a lot of people lost help when they weren't paying a bit more wage because CERB was a chance for people to just stay home. Now, mm-hmm. having said that, people were nervous about the pandemic, staying home if they had a secondary condition, you know, if they had diabetes or they had something else, mm-hmm. it still is a risk for them. So mm-hmm. hopefully everybody out there has gotten vaxxed and double vaxxed and triple vaxxed if you can, because I'm a great believer that you will help your community if you get all your vaccinations up to date and you're less prone to share COVID and less prone to get COVID. That's yeah, great advice. Okay, so do do a shout out about your business and what you do and uh, how people can contact you. Wow, you can contact us. We are a textile screen printer, basically, but we do embroidery and promotional products. There aren't too many products we can't find for you if you, you need them. You can contact us through www.traces.com, T-R-A-C-E-S.com, or you can look us up on Google, and we have a 4.9 rating, which I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. And you can call me anytime. My name's Tracy. <laughs> uh, Tracy, thanks so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. You know, and you, I've always been so inspired and proud of you uh, as a businesswoman leader in this community. One of the first, you know, to kind of kind of be out there and, and starting your own business because a lot of things weren't happening in 1985 uh, that that women were were running. So we've seen a big change over the years. 1985 was a lot different than now. We didn't have computers, so everything was done by hand. All artwork was done by hand. I can go on for, I could do a whole other show for you on, I don't know how I got through business in those years. Wow. Honestly, (laughs) crazy. There's a book in there. Yeah, there's maybe, maybe not a, that interesting a book, but there's a book in there. Uh, thank you so much for calling in, Tracy. And everybody, it's Tracy Screen Printing. And if you need something printed, she's the shop to call. Thank you so much, Trace. And now our next guest for, for the remainder of, of today's segment is Mr. John Tutt. And John is the owner of uh, Princess Cinema. And as we know, um, the cinema industry has taken a real hit over the past two years of, of uh, people not being able to go to movies and, and being shut down. And John has been such a strong community leader and a business leader in Uptown Waterloo, and his voice is respected by many, many people. And it's really, I'm just thrilled to have you on the show today, John. Hi, Brenda. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Mondays are my uh, booking and hold day, so it's the day where I decide what films are coming and what films will be shortly leaving. So it's a busy day for me. <laughs> and it's wonderful that you're talking about booking shows now and people can come to the movies. Oh, tell me about it. It's just been a, a sort of a dog's breakfast, really, the past couple of years because our suppliers in the early days just gave up on releasing films theatrically and got spooked, and a lot of them got pushed right into streaming. So mm-hmm. through all those openings and reclosings, um, you know, you'd, you'd reopen, and there'd be no films to book. Oh, so things we just, wouldn't think about. It was just a really, for, or no good new movies to book, because what studio in their right mind would plan to release a movie when, who knows, we might be closed in six, five weeks yeah. or four weeks. So. Yeah. 
So, um, so kind of share with us what the past two years have been like, just for the for your industry, but you specifically with the the opening and closings. How did you survive that? Yeah, well, the, the main financially on the financial side, the government subsidies, whether it's there was even regional money, municipal money, um, provincial, and even the, in the federal side of things through the wage subsidy, rent subsidy, and even Telefilm Canada came through and uh, had a program to support uh, independent cinemas or just cinemas in general. So staying, there was staying on top of all that. <laughs> uh, there was trying to keep your key staff with you, and we managed to keep a couple of our key staff with us through all this so that when we do reopen, you know, we want someone skilled that can help us operate projectors, uh, do social media, uh, man our website, and all that. That was really a key part of, uh, in, the, in the early days of what, uh, what do we do? Um, and the government programs were very helpful to us. Um, community support was super great, Brenda. I mean, we never knew we had so many community fans out there. We, we had seat sales. Hmm. We had posters. We had a poster sale that blew our socks off um, in terms of funds raised. Um, so, and merch, we sell merch, we sell princess socks, we sell princess t-shirts, princess, princess pins. We never, we never had sort of a whole merch line before this, this started. So, Well, people love, love going to the princess center because of of the movies that you show. Yeah, I know. And, and that's the thing. Um, so we're back at it. We're open during the pre-Oscar season. We're showing, uh, foreign language Oscar nominated films right now. Um, we're starting to host our annual festivals. We have our Paddling Film Festival in late March. We have a, a new festival that we're starting to promote the second time around called the Bicycle Film Festival. That's in late April. And, of course, we, ho- we host the KW Zonta Film Festival. Yeah, that's coming up. Uh, in in late, uh, late April. Mm-hmm. So it's so nice to be sort of working with groups again, programming films, uh, engaging with the audience, um, so glad to be back at it because for me, I mean, basically I own cinemas and I book films and I've been doing that regularly, consistently for over two years. Uh, so it's nice to be back working again. And it's nice to have you back and, and to have the opportunity to go and see a movie. So if I was coming to the, the Princess Cinema, talk to me about masking, uh, how people are being seated in the theaters. Well, yeah, the the restrictions have again changed again. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we no longer check the vaccine passport at the uh, Princess Cinemas. Uh, you must show a mask and wear a mask the whole time you're there, um, unless you're actively, you know, sipping a beer or eating some popcorn or having a drink. We uh, do some sanitizing in each theater. Um, we don't have sneeze guards anymore at all of our locations. But it's going to a cinema, going to an independent cinema now, it's, it's a safe place. The, the rooms are big and the crowds aren't huge. You know, the, the crowds have never been huge at Princess Cinemas. They, they're, they're spaced out over the course of a week. And that's, that's sort of our model. So, so those are the new rules. No more vaccine mm-hmm. passports and wear a mask. Now, will people be seated apart from each other, or will it just be, you know, you can sit beside anybody? 
it's just we don't have to tape off uh, sort of no sit areas mm-hmm. anymore. And generally, I mean, I go to our movie theaters and watch movies, and audience behavior is yeah, people will find their own space and sit, you know, either you know six or five feet apart from somebody else. But we don't have to enforce a strict uh, no-sit area within our theaters. We used to do that, where we'd have to measure the six-feet distance. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore. So at the end of March, the, the provincial government's talking about re- release, um, re- releasing the use of masks. How does that affect someone like your, you and your industry? Yeah, everybody's got sort of that uh, rule that says, gee, do safe or do I not feel safe mm-hmm. with distancing and mask wearing and I think the government is is sort of saying well look at the end of March or whenever that will be they say you know in some instances wherever you go you don't have to wear a mask like go to a public re- a restaurant or a cinema or something like that um, I'm not as a business owner I take advice from the government. Um, I'm not going to be the great decider on what's safe and what's not safe within a public gathering place. Mm-hmm. That's what those public, you know, the chief public doctors, and that's what they're really good at. So I really do lean on them for advice on should and shouldn't work in those situations. And we'll, we'll listen to them and just take their advice. All right, John, now give us a quick shout out. Um Princess Cinemas, what can we expect to see in the next while? What are you, what are you bringing in? What are, we, what are we playing right now? A really good Norwegian film called The Worst Person in the World. It's holding for its third week. Licorice Pizza is a Best oh, Picture yeah. nominee. Really fun film. And Japanese film, Drive My Car. Um, also nominated for uh, Best International Feature and Best Picture. Um, so those are just a, a few things. Oh, in addition, here's a local shout-out. Uh, Drive uh, uh, Rock This Town by Betty Ann Keller. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a documentary about the history of rock promoters in the 70s and 80s in Kitchener-Waterloo. And there's some really interesting surprises in that. But it's almost sold out. It's a four- or five-day event in late March. Hmm. Rock This Town, mark it in your calendars. Um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be around for a while. Um, so can't wait for that local uh, feature to present Oh, that's great, John. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And everybody, Princess Cinemas is back and up, and we can go see movies again. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. You too. All right, everybody, it's been a great show so far, and we just have to go for a quick break. We've had quite a show today, and I want to thank everyone for calling in, especially our pet peeves. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, Polly, you've changed my whole world about shutters on houses, and uh, I don't know how I'm going to ever survive that pet peeve. Um, you know, when I listen to the local business people talk about what they've gone through over the past two years, it really, you know, it really impresses me on their resilience, their their bravery, what they've had to go through, and I hope that they're going to be able to uh, catch up on the sleep that they've lost over the past two years. So as a community, we need to support our local businesses and, and start getting out there and helping them and supporting them and, and going to uh, to movies and dinners and theaters and everything we possibly can because they stayed strong for us 
And now they're going to give us all the opportunities we've been waiting for for the past two years. So let's really support our local businesses. I want to thank Polly, our producer, Polly. You've done a great job as ever. You must know what you're doing by now. And sometimes he even tells me what to do. I don't know, 17 years. I think I know what I'm doing. TC, don't look a day over 17. <laughs> Thanks. And Brittany, the wonderful producer I get to work with, she comes up with the best things to think about, and, and uh, she's just a doll. So it's been a great joy working with them. I'll be back on Wednesday, and I'm um, looking forward to speaking with you again. There's lots going on in the world. And stay safe, hug the people you love, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday.